0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cobblestone Podcast. My name is Adam Houlihan.
1: And I'm Tomás Mulligan. And joining us today is our good friend John Francis Flynn. And John will talk to us all about his history in music, his time in the Cobblestone and his projects coming up in the future. We both really enjoyed recording this one with John, didn't we Adam?
0: Absolutely folks, very interesting listen. Sit back, relax and we hope you enjoy
1: Right, so so we're here with John Francis Flynn. How are you, John? How's lads?
2: Not doing too bad today. How are you getting on? Good, good. Great to it's have you. Nice day. Yeah, I went over my ankle earlier on, but uh, sorry other than talk? that, I wasn't. I was walking across uh, from Lilliput. Do you know Lilliput? Oh, yeah. Very nice, um, very nice shop um, in uh, Stony Bar, around the corner from where I live. And uh, I went over on a um, twist my ankle. Uh, well, third time in about three weeks. Third time in as many weeks, as you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah not apart, from that, apart from that, I'm, I'm all good, yeah. It's right. not
0: pleasant. It happened to me there a few weeks ago when it was raining. Very sore. Jeez, so, but, it's very
2: hard now when it's raining as well because it's very slippy when it rains. Yeah. Especially when you have the goal places as
1: well. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um,
1: so, to just dive right into it... Uh, for as long as I can remember, you've been playing in the cobblestone. Your sister's been playing in the cobblestone. Yeah. And your dad, before everything shut down, had uh, I think he was playing here every Monday. Yeah. 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 Um do you come from a musical family? Has it always been in your family or how did how did you get introduced to traditional Irish music?
2: Yeah, so um my dad has a big interest in music, so he he'd listen to. When we were growing up, it was like we were listening to all sorts of music, from like uh, jazz to rock to classical to whatever else it was. We just he had a massive collection of uh, of music, and he's a bit of a nerd uh, in that. But uh, he decided at some point that he was he wanted to play me. I mean, he was playing the guitar up until that, like kind of just playing the guitar you know like and the guitar is kind of a genre unto itself can kind of yeah you know you're playing the guitar you're not necessarily playing any particular style uh but he was dipping into a load of different styles i suppose on the guitar as you do um but i suppose he got really interested in trad music and then picked up about the banjo the tenor banjo specifically to play trad music on it and around that time i had been playing uh the piano i I started playing the piano when i was about four and what? but yeah started playing the piano when I was about four um, and by the time I was six my uh, my piano teacher encouraged my dad or or told told my parents that uh, it, I shouldn't really be I should quit basically <laughs> 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 because he was saying you know he's he's actually he's actually quite good at music but he just doesn't put in the work so like I think you're wasting your money at this stage Six years of age. Jesus. Never tell a six-year-old to quit anything unless it's drugs. Like, like, don't tell a six-year-old ever to quit anything. You know, it's absolutely... I'd be playing the piano to this day. Like, well, I don't know. But um, I'm sure I would have. Because I uh, stuck to the... When I went to the Tin Whistle, it was no different. I was seven, probably, maybe six or seven. And uh, my dad wanted me to play music and he was learning the banjo at the time and so he brought me along to the to the the classes that they had on saturday morning in 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 marino in fairview and uh he said uh, he'd he'd do the classes with me so he was doing the banjo and then the tin whistle with me so the two of us were in the class together which was nice you know and uh i stuck with it then but i was still seven and i didn't want to practice like
0: And was always um, traditional music you were interested in.
2: Well, I wasn't interested in it. Like when I was a kid, I was seven, so I was like not interested in. Mm. I mean, I was actually interested in music. I remember being the first record, the first song I loved was this uh, song. This this Susana Baca was the the singer, and it was this just compilation of uh, Afro-Peruvian music that my dad had. And I used to put on the song and I, used to, I remember like one of my, some of my earliest memories just going mad dancing around the room. To, just like running in circles basically uh, around the room to this particular song. But that was always music to be listening to. I was always listening to, these mu- to, 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 to music, you know, yeah. always listening to music and never really had any urge to play any of this music. So Irish music was the music that I was playing. I never any urge to play any other music. And I didn't have an urge to play Irish music, to be honest. Yeah. When I was a child. I was just it was like homework, you know. But eventually, like as you as you as you as you go on, you, you kind of you get you, you become into it, you know, you, you want to start learning and like it just takes time. Some kids, maybe some kids are like, yeah, this is this is great from the get go. Yeah. Rock on. Let's <laughs> fucking, let's really knuckle down into this hour a day of practicing, as, instead of going out playing football with your mates. You know, um, some people and, and genuinely some kids are like some yeah. kids are really into that. Like um, I wasn't, um, and it took me a while to see this. I got in, the reason I stuck with it was basically not to disappoint my dad, <laughs> and to because um, I, I, I got I made a lot of friends playing playing Irish music. There was a big there was a nice community and yeah. I just kind of stuck with it because I had so many friends in it. That's where you and I met. It was. Yeah. It was in the uh, group of St. Gabriel's wasn't Saint it? St. Gabriel's in Clontarf, yeah, yeah. Every Saturday evening. Um So like every Saturday morning we'd be going to classes on our instruments and then Saturday evening we'd be doing this uh group of Kyole which was basically an orchestra for Irish music yeah so uh and I say that's where that 's where I met Tomás um, and you know like it, if it wasn 't for the fact that I had a lot of mates in that, i wouldn't have stuck around like yeah, I would have just you know i would have and and, and if i didn't want to like i mean as i say my dad i wanted to, I knew he really wanted me to play music. Um, but but by the time I was like a teenager, I was kind of like, okay, I actually like this now, and I was still wasn't di- didn't have the, I still wasn't practicing so much, but I was because I was playing it and I was surre- like I was listening to loads of I, was, I really liked Irish music at that point and I was listening to loads of CDs, um, I I started progressing anyway, so I was completely immersed in it, so. I suppose I was learning through that, and then eventually I really started knuckling down into it when I was about fifteen or sixteen, I'd say, and I started really like I wanted to. I was listening to CDs and like picking them apart and like practicing it, yeah. like on the flute, or whatever. Like, Whereas, how- like Um Harry Bradley was the first one. So Matt Malloy was my first kind of in terms of playing flute. I was like, I love this music. I love Matt Malloy's playing. And I listened to that load, but I never sat down and tried to be Matt Molloy. Um, but then when I heard Harry Bradley's first album, I was like, okay, I would like to learn exactly how he does this stuff. And I sat down and I tried to practice it. And of course I never reached, I never was able to play exactly like Harry Bradley, but that massively informed my style. You know? So that kind of, it progressed from there. My style progressed from sitting down and actually putting in the work with that with that cd and then a few few other uh cds that were similar well i mean a few other harry bradley cds and like got into like rhythmical kind of flute playing so like old school stuff like john mckenna and tom morrison and stuff like that but yeah um so when
1: would you say that it became or that there was a transition from it being something that you did into something that you wanted to do with your life?
2: Oh, like, see, this is the thing as well. Like, I mean, it was always going to be something I did with my life in terms of enjoyment, but I never wanted it to be a... I never, like, had any... Like, I mean, I never... When I was younger, I never had any want to be a professional musician, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking I'd love to be um, like a, a professional singer or a professional flute player or whatever. Like, I was just going with the flow and seeing what happened. I was Actually, I wanted to be a teacher. Really? I wanted to be a secondary school teacher, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I didn't even want to be a secondary school teacher. I was just like, that seems like a handy enough gig. You have to, all the summers off and go to all the trad festivals, you know? Yeah. yeah great. Um, so I decided to study music in college. Uh, went to minute and uh well i didn't actually i when i say i went to minute i didn't actually go to minute right didn 't attend i didn't attend the classes as yeah. they say like uh if well they don 't say that i, was just, <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> what I'm <laughs> trying to say there but like i didn't go in <laughs> your basically name, your name was on the roll my name was on the roll yeah and uh so yeah just uh eventually i just failed like i fa- i passed first year somehow yeah. and then failed second year repeated that and like eventually just it just fizzled out like i just i just wasn't doing it but alongside that i was getting all these gigs in town and having a crack and just playing music and meeting all these people what one thing that happened in minute though that stood to me it changed the course of my life massively and not through, um, not through, um, the course. Well, I mean, it was the course that changed it, but it wasn't in an a- an academic way. Yeah, there was this course. There was a module called, well, actually, I don't know what it was called, but it was to do with folk music. Um, and Adrian Scull, um, did uh, did and Adrian Scull is the the accordion player who plays with Sean uh, O'Brien, Down for the Cayleys, and the cover oh, song yeah right um and uh he's a he's a, a lecturer in in uh, in minute, and uh he did his folk music lecturer, and I just fell in love with uh the Wattersons who were like a, an english folk group, a family of singers who' sang in harmony um and they were around in the, like the well they still some of them are still around now, but like the they recorded a lot of English folk songs back in the sixties they were part of the the revival back, back then, you know, and the Thirty Foot Trailer was a song, and I was it was a song he played in class. Uh, Adrian played in class, and I was like hooked. And there's a few moments during your life when you listen to so- a track, and you're like, holy! And the first one was that Susanna Baca yeah. one when I was three or whatever. Um, and there's been a few, there's, there's, been, there's another one, Harry Bradley's, the first track on Harry Bradley's album. On, the first track on Harry Bradley's first album. Probably something to do with, probably Matt Malloy, but I mean, like, a pivotal moment was, was the Harry Bradley one. And then this one was another one that changed me. I was like, I have to do this. And it really, uh, you can edit that. You can add that, you know. (laughs) But it really um, changed the course of my life because I never sang up until that point, you know. So I... So, wait, what age were you when you first sang? I was probably, I don't know. I was maybe 19 or 20, and I'd never sang before that.
0: That's where the inspiration came from.
2: That's where the inspiration came from. I can't remember exactly when, because I didn't sing that song. Yeah. I didn't, I just got into it. just started listening to loads of it. So I can't remember exactly what age I was when I started singing, but um I got really into it at that point. Um and then eventually I heard Luke Kelly singing um, Come My Little Son and I decided all right this is a song that I want to learn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I started singing that. I still sing that today and that's actually the last track on the album that I recorded. Um but uh yeah I suppose, like, it, it was a strange thing because singing and playing an instrumental traditional music seemed really, really separate when I was growing up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there was no singing. All of us were playing instrumental music and that was it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and even if you go into a session, no one was singing songs. You might get the odd person who was singing a song, but none of the musicians were really singing songs. hmm just like some fella uh, in the like would come along and say, Oh, do you mind if I sing a song? <laughs> and uh, he'd be like, Of course, go and sing a song. And that would be great. But like, it would be, yeah. not, it would be very separate, you know? So at the same time, of, of, when I started singing, when I started getting into this, obviously there was a lot of people my own age, which I didn't realize until a while later, there was a lot of people my own age doing the same thing. And they weren't necessarily coming from a trad background or whatever, or like a like a, a background where they were playing, like tradition. Well, yeah, playing traditional music. They could have, you know, there's a lot of people my age just got into singing. Well, not even a lot. Just a small selection of people got into singing traditional songs, and we all just happened to meet. Somehow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Is that how um, Skipper's Alley came about?
2: No, actually, it was. Skipper's Alley was, um, was kind of like I was playing... So I started playing the guitar yeah. uh, when I was about 16. And what happened was... I, so I wasn't singing. Like, I mean, I was singing. The reason I was invi- invited into to join Skipper's Alley when they were deciding they wanted uh, on members uh, wasn't because I was a singer. It was because I played the guitar. Right. And I was I was back in trad. So I... Um, skipper's alley was made specifically to go to it was basically to go on a holiday yeah and this is it like i was never trying to be a professional musician we wanted to have the crack at this festival and some of the lads were like there's this festival uh there's a competition and if you if you if you get selected you do this competition and you get a holiday for 10 people to go to this or sorry for seven people to go to this trad festival in france so who's who's the founded members here well Finn on McGowan and ono kanowan had been at the festival before and they okay. found out that like that there's this competition um, that they run yeah and i should clarify sorry that the competition doesn't get you a holiday you just that's part of the holiday if you know what i mean and it's not okay. a ho- it's not supposed to be a holiday it's a gig <laughs> but like the lads were like oh if if we Make an EP and send it on to these lads. We might be selected to perf- to, to take part in this competition, yeah. You know, which is basically and it'll get us a free holiday with the lads. Uh, but I suppose they were thinking we'll get, and it was seven you're allowed to have up to seven members of the band, so we were just like, the lads were like, get seven people, yeah. It was never like um seven people seems to be too much for a band you know because it is too much for well it's not really but it, it can be too much for a band especially yeah. if you want to do it professionally and you want to make a bit of money um it's it's awkward having seven people um but it was just like literally to go on holiday and so i played the guitar i was one of the lads who kind of played the guitar in in my age in in Dublin. Yeah. Of my age in Dublin, I was probably w- one of the better backers in uh on the s- the scene. <laughs> um so I was asked in. And uh I suppose they were thinking like who's good crack as well. And they were probably thinking oh John's a bit of crack. Oh. You know. Don't need to be too many yeah, right, crack, you nah. know. <laughs> so uh eventually we got asked so we eventually the first time we tried to to go for the festival we weren't accepted so they got some other band and the next time uh, we kept at it yeah and the next time we were we were asked to go and the seven of us went over and we won the competition in the end we were like brilliant oh over, over where now this is in Lorient. Lorient, France. Lorient, yeah. france yeah and so we won the competition and i think maybe at that point we were trying. We were kind of thinking of taking it a little bit more seriously, but I was never thinking. I'm I'm a professional musician. Yeah. I was just there like this is great crack going over go, going over to France, playing a few gigs, like having the crack with these lads, um and you know, you know, playing music and you know meeting loads of random French heads and random <laughs> like people from all over the world at these festivals, and you're like, where? where would you ever get an opportunity like that? Like, most people are paying money to go on on these holidays. Mm-hmm. I'm getting paid to go on these holidays. That, yeah. that that was that was my, the way of looking at it back then, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and how many albums have Skipper's Alley got now? Is it two? Or is uh, it the EP?
2: Two albums, yeah. Two yeah. albums. We had an EP as another band of precursors to Skipper's Alley was called The Liffey Banks. Very um, nice. And then we had to change the name. Um, so, yeah there was an ep with Liffy banks and then two albums with skipper's alley one came out uh, uh last year even though uh i was listening to the radio a while ago and uh, they introduced uh, me as a former me- no sorry a member of like a former member of skipper's alley and they introduced Owen and Olten as former members of Skipper's Alley, as if Skipper's Alley didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, not many people know this, but Skipper's Alley uh, still exists. <laughs> live and kicking. <laughs> yeah, live and kicking. So, like, come on. Uh, give us a gig, please. <laughs> uh,
1: that album, The Old Fip, uh, that's an amazing album.
2: Thanks very much.
1: Yeah, big fan of it. Uh, and and we, we had the pleasure of seeing um, the launch. Mm. Mm. just before the world shut down yeah yeah it was a great night it fantastic was that, the last great night the last was, great night
2: yeah, yeah it actually was the last great night
0: i couldn't walk after the gig what happened i was blocked oh <laughs> i see what you in mean a taxi
2: and- i see what you mean yeah send me home it was it was a great night uh yeah and it was kind of i think that was kind of the last great it was the last night out really, uh, like uh, everyone was out, yeah. For you know, and uh, and uh, I suppose um, that's kind of why the album hasn't gone anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. we brought out an album just before this whole thing started. Like, we and we and, and like, well, part of the reason is we didn't put any money into PR, which is a must these days, yeah. Um, unfortunately, uh, but. Like even if we did put money into P.R., what would we be doing now? Yeah, it's not much you, you could know. Have done. But we still have fucking like, a hundred and fifty LPs in the in the. Um, One that
0: of that them is mine. Paddy Cummins never gave it to me. Oh yeah, you'll
2: get it. You'll get it. You can call around now after this if you want. And uh, it is a, it is available on
1: Spotify, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's available and everything. To be honest, it's up online yeah. and like you can be listened to. Um, we would prefer if you bought it. <laughs> Never, mind. Never mind Spotify
0: Bandcamp Fridays are Bandcamp Fridays
2: are. are coming up every Are they coming up every month or every two months or whatever Yeah, they've, they're have they great Yeah um,
1: Before you were in Skipper's Alley I wanted to bring this up Yeah uh, There was a band you were in And uh, you were hitting all sorts of heights Consumer Love Affair
2: Oh yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to bring up extortion there, Tomas
1: No, no, that. uh Dead, dead in the water before yeah. it even got going.
0: True, extortion.
1: Yeah, John and I formed a band with uh, Connor Walsh uh, called Extortion, uh, with no e in it. It was just a capital X,
2: <laughs> like Extravision.
1: Yeah, <coughs> exactly like Extravision. Yeah, and we went to Connor Walsh's house, and so what I brought to the table was three chords. <laughs> um,
2: John brought a whistle, and. Did you play the guitar at the time i remember there was a convers yeah there was a conversation i don't know but i think i might have had a guitar yeah and like, Connor walsh played the guitar i think as well. like the lads were like we, there was a conversation where we were like uh so what could, what instrument do you play I was like, oh guitar what instrument do you play guitar and what <laughs> instrument do you play uh, guitar and so like i think someone was like all right i think Tomas is on rhythm guitar uh, t- Connor took lead guitar and uh, I was on vocals. <laughs> it's like I've never sang a song I mean, in my <laughs> life. <laughs> never sang a song in my life. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't even have a song to sing.
1: <laughs> and then his ma came in. Oh, yeah. And she gave us uh, baguettes with noodles in them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. lovely.
2: Baguettes with noodles in them. And that was the end of the band.
1: Yeah. I spent a week after that drawing up artwork for the band that never happened. And it was like all silhouettes of uh, people doing kick flips and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, wow. Skateboards uh, for the X ex in extortion. That's
2: pure extortion. Yeah, pure,
1: extortion. pure. And we didn't even know what it meant. Like no, it's just, no. It was
2: just cool. extortion. You could go like that with your arms. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like cross your hands like an X.
1: And little did we know, it was Kinda it's like, a, it's it's a crime to uh, swindle money out of people.
2: Oh yeah, no extortion is yeah. not a good thing. No,
1: no, not at all. But um, consumer love affair. Talking That's about extortion. Yeah. Uh, tell us a bit about that. <laughs>
2: So I was asked to be the bassist in a band called Consumer Love Affair years ago. Our friend Conor McHugh uh, was the drummer, and he was like, "Oh, you play you play guitar. Do you want to do, do fill in for a bassist?" And I was like, "I don't actually even own a bass. Never mind play it." And of course, I didn't play standard tuning guitar. I played in Dadgad, so I was like, "I don't know. I like I couldn't even translate." it onto and I and I yeah, I didn't couldn't, couldn't translate it basically onto bass. So I tuned I after I agreed to doing this, reluctantly, <laughs> I tuned the bass yeah. kinda like Dad Dad, guitar. And I was doing it like that. But I showed up to the first practice without a bass and the lads were like Where's your bass man? And I was like, oh, yeah, no, just uh, I. What I like to do is I like to like work things out on the guitar first, and then you know transfer them to the bass. You know what I mean? And the lads were like, ah, oh, man, that's a really cool um, process, whatever. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Literally didn't know a bass, and eventually, uh, I was. I had to do the gig with them, and and I got a loan of a bass, and I. I don't know. I, I, I still didn't know what I was doing, and I was just like I bluffed it, you know, and did a grand job. It was fine. Fair play. To and uh, and at the end, they were like, Lan, "Man, you're like, you're better than our usual bassist. <laughs> do you want to record an EP with us?" And I was like, "But why about your old bassist?" And ah, well, look, we we'll just we we'll get you involved instead. And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I, mean, I literally don't know how to do anything on the bass, but like your man who like. We ended up doing some really big gigs. Yeah. I mean, like, playing. There weren't really big gigs, but they were, like, big venues. Like, yeah. We were playing and supporting people in, like, the, the, the Olympia. And we were, like, kind of playing on the main stage at Trinity Ball and stuff like this. And I was like, how are we doing? I still <laughs> didn't know how to play the bass because I had no interest <laughs> in learning the bass. Um, I was just bluffing the whole time. But uh yeah played in the Olympia well, that's my proudest moment I must yeah, say yeah that's it's not <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's gas in fairness the fact that I played in the Olympia play, hold, like holding a base brilliant <laughs> um,
1: so the cobblestone what brought you here and
2: what does this place mean to you so the the, the cobblestone made me the musician that I am, I think, because on, on on flute and on on guitar, for, uh, you could, you could see the cobblestone as this kind of menu of traditional musicians. Every, every night of the week there's a different musician and like, if you're interested in playing flute music or if you're interested in playing accordion music, if you're interested in playing fiddle music or if you're interested in playing Donegal style fiddle music or if you're interested in playing like, whatever different style of music, Mm. there's, Like, whatever day of the week or time of the day there'd be someone that is, like, one of your heroes playing, Mm -hmm. you know? Casually in the corner of a pub. And you can join in. And so I was doing that. I was, like, picking out days of the week. So I was, like, thinking, oh, Catherine McAvoy plays on a Wednesday. I really like her flu playing. Um, Or... Harry Bradley was sometimes playing uh I think he was playing on I can't remember what what day he was playing on maybe a Sunday um but there was a few different days where I was like there's a, there's like a a huge variety of styles of flu playing uh happening on different days and I can go in and get the best of it all mm-hmm. and learn from them then with the with the guitar there was a few sessions that I just loved and I was going to go in and listen to the music and I said I'll bring the guitar in and just play really lightly along with it so one of those sessions was the Tuesday night session with Sean Garvey and Dermot O'Hanlon and two lads who were maybe five years older than me or so and I was you know 18 or so and they were like in their mid 20s or early to mid 20s kind of and um i was terrified of them i was just like these lads are so cool and they're so good at music you know and i just sat in with guitar and i was thinking i better just be really light really respectful because i love this i can just sit here and listen all day and it'll be great but i'll just play along really lightly so i wouldn't be drawing attention to myself and eventually uh, and they were just kind of I think they were wary at the start They were kind of like Looking at me thinking uh, Not a young fellow with a guitar Because yeah. you know Like if someone could come in Strumming the shite out of the guitar And like Ruin a session And not know not, not know how. Like they didn't know how to play trad at all Like Yeah um, So I was thinking Yeah I really want to just Sit into this session And just Not draw attention to myself And so I was picking away and I developed through that kind of respect for those musicians. Um, I kind of developed a style of guitar playing, um, that was quite light, and it got louder and la- louder and louder, and like, but it was, it never became. It was always behind. The lads, yeah, you know, it was always accompanying the lads, and um, whereas before that, I was, like busking on the street with a with some other lads and uh, my mates and lashing out the fucking court, yeah. you know lashing it out um was like couldn't couldn't do that in that session and i knew i couldn't do that in that session and and, and this was like this growth for me it was like i was growing and i was learning through that um, and eventually the lads started talking to me. <laughs> 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 and they were like, oh, actually, this fella's actually quite good in the guitar. And the only reason I got good in that guitar was through playing in that session. Because I learned how to be subtle. I learned how to be... to to. I was listening so much more to what the lads were doing than I had before. And, uh, yeah, I was it just developed from there so like the cobblestone provides you with all these people to learn from mm-hmm. as a young musician all these people to learn from and there's no better there's literally no better place for it in the country or We're, in the world actually for irish music
0: we've uh, we've put on some fairly strange gigs in here some very high profile ones if i do say so myself do you remember your first gig in here
2: in the session or um, at the back, boat. No, to, <laughs> bo- <laughs> to boat. Um, <laughs> I do remember. I do remember plenty of gigs <clears throat> I've done. Like, I mean, Tom was good enough to give me uh, semi-like regular slots in yeah. the Cobblestone. You know, he'd, he'd give me a shout the odd time to do to do gigs. Um, I don't remember the first time. Um, but there's been plenty of gigs I've yeah. done in, in the front of the, front of the bar. In the back bar, I do I, I there was a few. There's been a few odd ones. There was one that uh, we did for um, with uh, once there was a king, which is my band with um, Paddy and Olten. Um a band that we very rarely do anything with. Yeah. Um, but we did a gig for um, a lot of students from the the, the the college up the road, the DIT up the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just all these like foreign students and we were lashing out a few trad tunes and then we did our kind of more contemporary yeah. whatever. Yeah, trippy stuff. Trippy stuff. So, and we were thinking like, what are they going to think of this? And because they're like... These people never heard Irish music. Well, maybe they had, but like they probably heard Irish music at some point. But they're all foreign, and they came over, and they're just—I think it was like a bonding exercise for them. Like, yeah. we're all living in a, in campus together, that kind of thing. And um, to come down to the Cobblestone, have a couple of pints, and uh, see a lot of lads playing Irish music, and then we were doing the trippy stuff, and they were really into it—mad into the trippy stuff, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So it was gas crack. Um, and then there was another gig we did with uh, I did for Liam Noonan. Liam Noonan. another gig the we did the Blue them. Light gig or Blue Valentine, wasn't yeah, that what it was yeah. called? Yeah, there's the Blue Valentine gig, and 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 that was just a, a nice little gig that, like, I mean, the, this is again the 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 community aspect of the Cobblestone. It's just like people who come to the Cobblestone, um, using the back bar in the cobblestone, the venue in the cobblestone, for, to put on little nights that are, where their friends play songs, you know? Uh, yeah. uh, as opposed to like, a, a, the session, uh, the session's still happening in the front. Like, you know, these nice gigs in the back where everyone's going up on stage and playing for each other. And it just as a, a little bit more of a kind of, a sense of a, like, importance about, about the nights. Or, and, and, and it is just a, the, the community the little, the little community that has evolved in the cobblestone that you and it's kind of nice because you don't even know some of these people sing songs or play instruments whatever and then all of a sudden they're on the stage singing songs and playing instruments yeah, yeah. it's really
1: nice um, so you are now trying to make a name for yourself as a solo artist uh, John Francis Flynn John
2: Francis Flynn.
1: Yeah. Don't call yourself a that on the streets, though. You no, on the
2: streets, I'm just John Flynn, as okay. I've always been. But there's, all, there's this uh, fella called Johnny Flynn um, <laughs> in England, and he's, uh, he's quite famous, and he sings folk songs, and right. he's a famous actor. So I, I put the Francis in, because that's my confo name. It's your confo <laughs> name? Yeah, yeah, it's my confo name. It wasn't, your, name. Mi- it wasn't no, your middle it's name, it's either no? going to be John Michael Flynn or John Francis Flynn. J-F-F. It kind of rolls off. I bet you're
0: glad now you went with Francis. Yeah,
2: I am. It was either going to be it was either one of them or like John Michael Francis Flynn. Uh-uh. John Michael Jingleheimer man, His name is my name too. Whenever we, you know, you know yourself, careful, careful. We
1: get flagged for copyright if you say any more So the solo career. Uh, what uh, what made you? decide to venture into that because as you were saying skippers alleys there's a lot of moving parts in that a lot of people yeah. in the band.
2: um so when did you decide that you're going to go out on your own so like at some point i started taking i, I mean like i was you can, you can only go with the flow long enough or, yeah. uh, to to some point and then you're like right i have never made any money ever <laughs> you know Um, There's holes in my shoes I need to eat (laughs) (laughs) I need to eat Eat eat. I need to eat (laughs) With my teeth Um, You can edit that out as well (laughs) You know But like I need to start making money Um, But I really don't want to end this journey Uh I've been going on a journey And it was Just going with the flow for a while I really really started to like playing on stage with the band and I didn't see any future for myself in an office or anything like that and I was thinking well there's no other choice for me here I'm just going to continue going like this but I need to take this more seriously and it also coincided with uh, people asking me to support them so Lancome asked me to support them years ago in the Shower club as a solo act right um, I'd never considered myself a solo actor I was just you know singing songs at sessions with the lads and they were like oh do you, do you want to support us and I was like yeah grand that sounds well I was actually I thought that was made. I didn't I didn't expect it at all I was very surprised and I was like yeah you know it's an honor like um and then in recent times I've been just asked to support people other bands and they weren't necessarily even trad bands yeah it was just people who saw who saw me singing at sessions, and yeah, it was that kind of thing that gave me confidence to do the the solo thing. Mm-hmm. I never sat out set out to um, to be a solo musician, even when we were taking Skipper's Alley a bit more seriously. I was never setting out to be a solo solo musician, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, I was never making music to to be on stage. You know what I mean. The music yeah. that I made was never. I was never thinking of how am I going to do this on stage. You know, mm-hmm. so that that journey has happened recently. In the Last maybe three or four years, I have started thinking about it. The whole, the record label thing when when um, River Lee came in, got involved. So I'm signed to River Lee, but before that. Uh, Lankham had signed to Rough Trade You Vagabond signed to River Lee Lisa O'Neill started si- uh, signed to R- River Lee and Keen Lawless who's my manager now uh, he got in touch with me and was like look this crowd are like they want more they want to hear more musicians from Dublin they want to hear more folk musicians from Dublin they're looking for people uh, so you need to take this seriously you need to rec- make a recording and so I was like, "Grand, I'll do that." Yeah. But also, I have no money, so it just took ages to make the recording. Um, yeah. Like. Yeah, so it, it kind of just happened by accident over like over a very very long time. Yeah. Very very long time. Um, whereas I suppose like most people who are coming from like say if you don't come from a trad background if you're playing music like a, as a singer songwriter you're only making music for i mean you're not, maybe not only making music but like you hope to be playing that for people mm-hmm. yeah. whereas in a from a if you're playing from a trad background you're like all you're hoping for is to be able to play in a session in the cobblestone that's all you want yeah really um so it came i came at it the opposite way i suppose true true just because i play trad yeah um but yeah, that's that's the kind of journey, and that's where I'm at now. Is I've just finished recording this album for River Lee. Great. And and since then, I've kind of been thinking about it uh, over the last few years. I've been thinking about what how I would present that music, what what I like to do with the music, um, in terms of if I'm putting it on a stage, like so. I don't necessarily see what I'm doing now as traditional music. You know, I come from a trad or traditional music background, um, and I still play traditional music, I see me playing traditional music as, like, playing in the cobblestone, you know? Yeah. That's me playing traditional music. So I've made a differentiation in terms of... And even playing with Skipper's Alley is very traditional. Well, not very traditional, but it's quite traditional in terms of... If you're in a band, like... That's not quite. That's not particularly traditional in the first place. You know, being in a band on st- on stage, as i was saying, like, yeah, that's you're you're removing yourself from traditional stuff there anyway. But um, what I'm doing now is kind of. I decided to kind of bring in. Remember, here, like my dad had all this music that I was listened to. I still listen to all sorts of music, as I was saying earlier on. Traditional music is the music that I play. And I listened to so much more music than that, and I suppose I decided for for this project because it's my solo thing, and I have other musicians playing with me was my my own vision i suppose mm-hmm. uh I wanted to incorporate sounds from the music that I love separate from traditional music and traditional music itself so it's it's a kind of a a mixed bag of everything that makes me makes makes like everything that is me in terms of how I think about music I suppose right. okay
0: and when can we expect that make me listen to
2: it uh, we're bringing it out on the the end of July anyway right? okay. either the 30th or the 31st of July and um before that we'll have a couple of singles out excellent
1: any yeah. um you mentioned "Come My Little Son" was yeah. going to be the last track on it, is it? "Come My Little Son" is the last track on the is album. Is there man. anything else that you can disclose now, or is it all being the f- yeah? Well, the fir- yeah,
2: no, I can tell you. Yeah, the first, like, I'll, I'll tell you the couple of singles that, yeah. I ha- that I'll be bringing out. Um, uh, so the first single was a song called "My Son Tim." Okay. Um, and I think, and I can't remember where I heard the song first, but I have two possibilities and they both work well uh, <laughs> <laughs> two great people um, it was either I heard Frank Hart's version yeah. uh, first and I, he's a hero of mine absolutely amazing uh, singer from Dublin yeah. um, and I learned it from that CD and then I heard Andreas Schultz singing and I was like that's ah, another God. another Mighty. amazing version or else what I think is more probable is actually I think this is it um, is that I heard Andreas Schultz singing it first of all in the cobblestone yeah I'm pretty sure I heard Andreas singing it in the cobblestone and then that's what spurred me on to go and find it Um, it was the Frank Hart version uh, that I learned, and I think Andreas sings it a little bit differently um, uh, how did, how did he sound he does, when he it?
1: Uh, recommended it to you
2: what's that how did he sound when he recommended it to you this, well he didn't recommend it he, he actually sang it all right my son Tim was a Boston's maiden. God blowed a whistle, but he never ran a raid. When the thought of that mother came into his head, you couldn't understand what he said. But you're too late, uh, ya whackfalleder, whackfalleder, oh. excellent. <laughs> uh, he sounds a bit like that. Um, and I was listening to it. I was like. Oh, Andres is unbelievable, I think. Yeah, yeah. He like, is. he has this, a, he's a German man that has no, it's like there's very, there's a few foreign people who come into Irish music and master it. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many people, there's thousands, if not millions of people who, who are obsessed with Irish music that are foreign and have never had the opportunity to grow up and learn it uh, and be immersed in it and there's a few people there's only a few people like Andreas and Hajime Takahashi uh who have two unbelievable men who have properly come in and just soaked it up and mastered it. Yeah, he's got it. It's stunning. Stunning yeah. musicians and singers like it's like it's uh, how do you do that like how do you do that? Something special about them. Yeah, totally. But um yeah, truly truly special people like and and Andreas was yeah, so I, I I'm pretty sure it was Andreas who who we were heard first? And in the cobblestone, I remember it was down at the end of the bar. He was standing up. <laughs> Deirdre Hurley asked him to sing the song, and I was there, and it was just spectacular. Um, the other song is shall- I think that we'll bringing out is a, as a single is a "Shallow Brown," and I learnt that when I was on the Disney cruise ship. Oh, the
1: yeah. Disney cruise ship! Can yeah. you tell us a bit about that?
2: It's. We it, we got a call from a from our um, our agent in America. We had an agent in America back then, and um, before we um, before we were going on tour, uh, there was this opportunity to do a gig on a, a cruise ship, a Disney cruise ship, which was um, basically uh, floating Disneyland it was jesus. it was very strange and the lap of luxury and a very very like plush fancy very very fancy uh cruise ship i think i be- i believe it's like one of the most expensive cruise ships to be on jesus but it was absolute torture and we were treated <laughs> we weren't we weren't treated like crew we were treated like uh passengers we got the fancy rooms and all and we were still like driven demented. We were playing in a bar called Darby O'Gills Irish Bar. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Darby O'Gills Irish Bar. <laughs> I don't even know what accent that was, to be honest. Uh but like we did like four gigs a day. Only like forty minute gigs. Yeah. Um spread out the evening. Dress as they we were free to do whatever we wanted to do. We could um Play in the go swimming in the pool, go to the cinema, or we could partake in any of the various activities they had on. <laughs> One of which was the hidden Mickey challenge. <laughs> 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 and every day, we like I mean, not every day, but like. They would pipe into the rooms uh, Like the activities Like ding, ding, ding Well folks Into into your room Everywhere on the boat Into your room Yeah And there was one This activity This activity was for the kids in particular And The
1: Hidden Mickey Challenge (laughs) The Hidden Mickey Challenge
2: Could all the kids on the boat Please report For the Hidden Mickey Challenge It was basically like a scavenger hunt Where you could find all these Mickey Mouse heads Or whatever Hidden around the boat but then I was just like thinking, like, nobody else finds this funny. Only the <laughs> Irish people on the boat find this funny. <laughs> Everyone else is like, ah, hot damn, the Hidden Mickey Challenge. Can't, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> like, my God, it was. Yeah, so anyway, it was, uh, we were driven the mantle on the boat. We were on the boat for 25 days. Whoa. Yeah, and uh, it, was, it was dreadful, like. So really you, that's, really where, that's where you picked up Shallow Brown. So yeah, in my spare time, I was like reading this um, book of, I was going through this book of um, Sea Shanties and I found, this, uh, found this song called Shallow Brown. Uh, and yeah, I just learned it and you know, it, it, it resonated. I just, I just thought it was a beautiful song mm-hmm. and um, telling a really sad story was a, it was a it was a story as it was originated as a slave song in the west indies and as slaves would have been like they would have been kind of i suppose rented out to to ships yeah. um fishing vessels or whatever and it says in the book that like everyone was just singing everyone else's songs so maybe the structure of the song would have been different Okay. When it was in its original form, but it, it developed into a, into a a sea shanty, and um, yeah, and there's loads of versions. since since then. I've actually looked up and there's loads of versions of it, okay. um, and it's it just travels because, because these these songs just travel everywhere, yeah. Because like from word of mouth, or whatever, or like oral tradition or whatever, you know, just pass on from sailor to sailor to from generation to generation, that kind of thing. And uh, so there's different versions of the song all over the place. Um, but this ver- this particular version I didn't get from any recording. It was the, f- the only actual song that I specifically got out of a book and read the melody and learned the melody from the book. And because of that, it's probably slightly different to what's actually written in the book, because I suppose it's hard to write out folk music as uh, they're, you know, try to write it. Like, no one plays, no one plays folk music. Like, if you were to play it as it was written, it'd be like a MIDI file, you know? Yeah. You know, it wouldn't sound natural, you know? So you kind of do what you want with it. Not what you want with it, but like, try to make it natural. Yeah. Um, And connect with the melody through a book, which is awkward enough, but it was a beautiful melody, so I connected with it pretty um, handy, I suppose. I find that awkward enough anyway, trying to learn melodies out of books. Um... But um, yeah, really beautiful song. Okay. So,
1: when this album comes out at the end of July, how can we get it? Um.
2: Well, you can buy it on uh, on Bandcamp. It'll be out on Bandcamp. Bandcamp. I'll, I'll, if okay. you follow uh, me on uh, Instagram, I'll be posting about it. I don't have it. Do any of the other social medias? So Instagram is the place to get me, and I'll be. Directing people, I suppose I'll have some sort of link, link in the bio, link that kind of th- link in the bio, as I say. Um, but yeah, I suppose I'll have to set up a band camp, and then also the the record company River Lee will be putting it out. So um, that's true rough trade. So I'm sure you'll find it there. Okay. Yeah.
0: Before we let you go, John, tell us about what you have in your pocket there. Um. Well, and I'm glad you asked. Um.
2: This is um a little contraption I made uh, based on um, a contraption that a a man called um, Packy Manus Burns made. Packy Manus Burns was a a musician back in... uh, He's from Donegal. He was from Donegal. He died there recently uh, in his... I think he died in his late 90s or he was in his 90s anyway. Um, And he was around in the kind of around the English folk revival you know yeah. um, and he he had this contraption where he, he like put he was able to use like I don't know he used plumbing pipe or something like that to attach three tin whistles together and he played one of them uh, and he had two hanging out um, and he had the two the two hanging out were like drones and one of them he played the tune on kind of looked like a an octopus or something. Yeah. Um, now I don't have those uh, materials at my disposal, so I just stuck two tin whistles together in a <laughs> with a with tape, and I covered over three of the holes on one of the tin whistles, and I just play the tune. I play the tune on one of them, and, and use the other one as a drone, basically. Um, but yeah, someday I'll I'll work up to the three the three two whistles oh. like, uh, like 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 uh, paddy Manus Burns.
1: Would you? Uh would you play us a tune
2: on it? I will indeed, yeah. I'll play a tune, actually, that I recorded um, on the album. It's called Tralee Jail. And
1: Before you go ahead in that, I don't know if you gave us the name of the album at all, did you?
2: No. So the album's going to be called I Would Not Live Always, which is uh, taken from one of the the songs on the, on the album. Um... This track is called "Trilly Jail," which I got from a recording of one of Reg Hall's uh, compilations of uh, music, uh, traditional Irish musicians in uh, in London. Um, and I can't remember your your man's name, but he played. Uh, it was it was I think it was in the '60s. He played this tune on the tin whistle. So I'm playing it on two tin whistles. <laughs> <laughs> So,